yes, there is a conspiracy. Indeed, there are a great number of conspiracies, all tripping each other up. The main thing that I learned about conspiracy theories is that conspiracy theorists actually believe in the conspiracy because that is more comforting. The truth of the world is that it is chaotic. The truth is that it is not the Jewish banking conspiracy or the gray aliens or the 12-foot reptiloids from another dimension that are in control. The truth is far more frightening. No one is in control. The world is rudderless and we embrace the void. you to exist anywhere. I want everyone corrupt. Leaves from the vine falling so slow. Sometimes, Master, it is difficult for meatbags to step back and gain some perspective on death and its importance in their insignificant lives. I don't know if I'm up for this. I'm so emotional. I can barely think straight. Great. Use that. Embrace the void. Warning. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 201 of Embrace the Void, where the boulder is once again at the bottom of the hill. I am your host, Aaron, and this week we're grinding out those counter-memetics, so let's just do the thing. Life ends in death, which we, as a species, are cursed with knowing, resulting in... Something. My guest this week is Nathan Alexander, a historian of racism and atheism and co-host of the Beyond Atheism podcast. Nathan, would you like to say hi to the void? Hello, void. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, we you know, we came across we, we crossed paths on Twitter um partly because I had recently cited one of your articles in something i wrote for arc digi about the moral panic around um critical race theory and i thought it'd be really valuable to just have you on to just talk definitions for an hour because i know how much people love to just talk about definitions so uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> so we'll do that a bunch before we get into defining some terms do you want to tell folks a little bit about sort of your background and how you ended up studying the intersection of racism and atheism yes i'm from canada originally from southern ontario in particular yeah so i, I studied history from my ba and ma and i was interested initially i thought i would go into african history then like in my master's, I sort of switched more to the history of race and racism angle. Anyway, along like at that time, like when I was doing my master's, I was also undergoing a religious change as well. Like I was, I was raised a Christian. And then like at that time, I was kind of in the process of becoming an atheist. So, you know, as I was researching the history of race and racism, I was kind of noticing all the ways that religion intersected with with uh, race and racism in different ways 
for example, like mm, the links of, you know, between like Christian justifications of slavery and anti-Semitism and on the other side, the mm, secular things like the links between racism and Darwinism, for example. So anyway, so I was I was interested in this topic and realizing that there wasn't really anything written yet about how atheism and, and secularism sort of linked with uh, the history of race and racism. So that's what I wound up doing my my PhD in. And I did my mm-hmm. PhD in, uh, in Scotland at the University of St. Andrews. And that sounds nice. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a nice, uh, nice place to do a PhD. And yeah, any, anyway, so I, and I wound up writing a book about, about that topic that was um, based on my dissertation. Yeah, so you write this book, I assume this is The the Race in a Godless World, um, mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. atheism and race. And you you focus primarily on 1850 to 1914. I'm curious why you focused in on that period and sort of what your takeaways mm-hmm. were from researching that period. Yeah, there's nothing really special about those dates in particular. It's just that okay. they provide sort of convenient. 1850 just happens to be the <laughs> You know, it's just the middle of the century, and then 1914 okay. is the start of uh, World War Two, or sorry, uh, World War One. So, I mean, th- those dates aren't really any significant. Just more the the period in general of the late 19th century and then early 20th century. So, I, I mm-hmm. chose those that period for two. There's two reasons. The first is that there's an emerging movement of atheists and other non-religious people that's coming about in, I should say that my focus in the book is the U.S. and and Britain. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, so before that time, you had individual atheists and and other sort of free thinkers. But in the late or the second half of the 19th century, you start to get movements of people, organizations who are putting out newspapers and pamphlets to sort of mm, like propaganda, I suppose, for their their ideas. Mm -hmm. And they're much more outspoken about it. Do you have a sense of what drives that change? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, a related thing is is that you start to see things like developments in science, like there's new new developments mm-hmm. in like geology that, that say that the earth is older than 6,000 years old or mm-hmm. um, Dar- like evolution, the theory of evolution coming out in 1859 with uh, Dar- Darwin. Oh, is that, was that kind of a big deal, I guess? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that was like relatively important, I'd say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, and then you you also have like biblical criticism at the same like in the late 18th century and 19th century, which just says that the Bible it was sort of pieced together by multiple sources and might not, you know, be a sort of completely mm-hmm. accurate picture of, uh, you know, like what some things we might take for granted today in terms yeah, of arguments. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, one one interesting thing, though, I guess, is I think it's it's in some way also related with like radical politics that a lot of these mm-hmm. atheist movements in the 19th century were, well, they were like working class and they were you know advocating for for democracy and and like greater rights and freedoms and so on. So mm-hmm. I think like those things are all kind of bound up. Does does Marxism like favor like does that show up in pretty explicitly or? Where where do you feel like that that gets folded in and like they, they, these two yeah. things become I think synonymous in a lot of people's minds? Yeah, I mean, I think 
I think there's sort of, I, I guess I would say that the, the, uh, the people in the, the people I'm looking at were more sort of liberal, I guess we'll say in that they, they were advocating for like, you know, greater f- freedom of speech and, you know, voting rights and things like this. Um, but they weren't, and, you know, like in rights for workers and so on, but they weren't maybe a full-blown Marxist. I feel like, I feel like for like socialists and, and Marxists, like they would probably put, they, they're atheists too, of course, but they would probably put more, um, more emphasis on like the Marxism and, and the socialism, like the, the um, mm-hmm. sort of the, the practical uh, political goals. Whereas the more liberal atheists like that I was looking at, like they were, they were uh, putting a lot of emphasis on making atheistic arguments. Whereas maybe that would be kind of like secondary for the Marxists and so on. Yeah. So, so that's the atheist side of this. What's can you give us a little bit about like the race racism side of that as like how is that playing mm-hmm. into all of this? Yeah, there were an, a number of different trends going on at the time. Um, one thing I guess obviously is in in the US, for example, this after the Civil War ends um, puts an end to slavery, there's there's this um, issue about how to reincorporate uh um mm-hmm. freed freed slaves into into society or or you know some people would say don't incorporate them into into society i mean so you get a brief period of optimism after the civil war of reconstruction um when they were mm-hmm. um given you know full rights basically um and then you know th- those rights are rolled back after uh, after the end of Reconstruction in 1877, so that's that's one one trend that's going on. There's also, again, like Darwin is important as well. Like there's um, theories about different uh, scientific or pseudoscientific theories about different racial groups right. having, um, you know, specific sort of characters and so on, mental and physical and so on, um, that. Uh, often draws upon science and like, or the language of science. I'm curious, do you see that scientific racism get picked up right alongside the kind of evolutionary theory in the atheist communities? Um, or is there some, yeah. is there more of like a conscious awareness that like the plight of atheists is similar to the plight of minorities in other ways? Yeah. I mean, that was one of the interesting things I found in the book in that on the one hand, a lot of the, I mean, I should say like a lot of the people I'm looking at are white, white people. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. so on the one hand, like they do sort of tacitly or, or explicitly accept the idea of like white superiority and, um, uh, yeah, like that, that their own society, like Western civilization is the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the other hand, you also have this, um, this also, this current of like skepticism that, you know, well, I mean, it's partly because like these atheists are kind of stigmatized minorities, and so their right. their societies they can't be that great. Like, you know, if if atheists are are sort of stigmatized in this way, um, so they they sort of start to look outside their own own borders and um, you know, say that maybe uh, maybe these non-Western, non-white societies are actually in some ways better better than ours. Like, they might have better morality or um, more just social systems. 
Um, and then the people themselves, like maybe these are, are sort of proto atheists or something like that, like, um, so-called savage groups or, uh, people in, in, in China and Japan, like maybe these are, you know, kind of, mm, you know, yeah, like proto atheists or proto kind of a noble savage for atheism kind of mentality. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yes. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's, I mean, that's a good way to put it because, um, it was still like you know, sort of a trope. It's just sort of like mm-hmm. a more a positive trope rather than than a negative right. one. Yeah. Well, that's an, that's an interesting point that you raised there. That like, it's tricky. You know, when you have a marginalized community like atheists, it does seem mm-hmm. like that marginalization gives them some conscious awareness of the way that society is unjustly marginalizing mm-hmm. people in general. Mm-hmm. And then you could imagine that maybe the case that like as atheists have become a less marginalized community to some extent, a little bit more mainstreamed, does that make it the case that they are more susceptible to lack of concern about other marginalized groups in that way? Yeah. yeah. I think that that's something I kind of raise in, in the conclusion to my book about, mm. you know, now that secularization has made, um, has just sort of mm, progressed or well is, mm-hmm. is, uh, continuing along and um there are more atheists and more more secular people and religion is starting to decline and atheists are no longer in certain places anyway like are no longer like a stigmatized minority like they're just it's sort mm-hmm. of accepted um to be non-religious uh so the question is like yeah like will they lose that um that sort of uh um sense that Mm-hmm. understanding of other people's marginalization and sort of empathy for, for that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, and I think I sort of leave it as an open question in the book, but I do think like you are starting to see that, like that um, mm-hmm. among or at least a split in the community, right? Yes. Along, right. Along right. Yes. Lines. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think that makes sense. So, okay. So shifting away from your book a little bit here, let's talk um some theory. So I'm going to, I'm mm. going to softball you here. Can you go ahead and yeah. just define racism for me? Right. <laughs> I don't know that it, that is a, a softball. <laughs> no, come on. Uh, elevator, elevator, pitch me your definition of racism. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess I would say, well, I'll, I'll try and, uh, avoid the question around about way i mean i guess sure, i would say like maybe there are t- there are two ways of two ways someone could define uh racism the one way would be to say it's like to, to focus on like an individual phenomenon like it's mm-hmm. it's either um it's it's individual prejudice based on race or it's like i like a sort of um ideology of racial superiority um mm-hmm. but one can also mm-hmm. define it more in a societal or structural or institutional level and say that racism is um when societies or structures or so on produce racial inequality Uh um yeah do you have any sense so yeah i think i think those are the two like sort of definitions that we have this kind of personal Mm -hmm. versus systemic level do you have Mm -hmm. a sense historically about does one of those precede the other in the history of the definition of racism or are those like do, is this tension or this conflict over the definition there from the beginning or does it arise at a particular point i would say it's probably it's probably the personal one like in the personal individual one that that 
uh, is first, I suppose. I think it's it's partly like, mm-hmm. well, I should say that the term racism is relatively recent. Like it really doesn't start to become widely used until the 1930s and 1940s. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, people talked about uh, like racial prejudice, um, which is is definitely a more you know, it's almost inherently, I guess, individual, like it's, mm-hmm. um, so I think, I think that the roots of, of that, you know, that, that people were talking about racial prejudice, um, in the, in the 19th century, then up until the 20th century. Um, I think that that sort of legacy then gets, uh, imported, I guess, inside the, into the definition of racism so that people mm-hmm. see it in an individual way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, the 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 definition, I guess. Well, even even in the nineteenth century, people were were sort of saying that, you know, maybe prejudice isn't isn't everything that that's going on, you know, with with regard right. to um, these these racial attitudes. Like, it's not just a matter of people having the wrong opinions or or like being sort of mentally defective. Like, there's something else going on in like the social structures. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not quite, um, yeah. I mean, there's not a there's not an, an easy term for people to use, and I think that's mm-hmm. that's one thing that like the term racism sort of supplies. Mm-hmm. And there's another sort of like meta level question here um, that I'm curious to get your thoughts on a little bit, which is like, you know, what is the goal of giving this definition of racism? You know, in the what what some folks will call right the game of the name. Like, mm-hmm. what what do you think that our intentions should be? What do you feel like you're trying to do as, you know, someone discussing definitions in this game? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, well, one of the things I guess as I as I sort of embarked on the research is is that there is a lot of debate about like you know what is the correct definition, and mm-hmm. it's a lot about, and one of the arguments people use is like well, my definition is, is, has a longer history or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, I mean, and I think it's, it's the case, like I said, that the individual sort of focus is, is, um, does have a longer history, but I don't think that's as like means that the, the definition can't be expanded or can't be, be changed or something like that. And in mm-hmm. some ways, um, the uh, yeah, I mean, like the history of the term is quite complicated, and so I guess just to, I, I think one of the, the things about thinking about the history of the word and about definitions is, um, mm-hmm. we can sort of understand, I guess, what what people are trying to do in in the present as they, um, yeah, as they discuss the, these words. I mean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about like, so so one thing you mentioned is that like I think it would be surprising for people to realize that like this term was not used heavily until the 1930s. Um, are there other like misconceptions? Do you feel like around the history of this word and its usage um, that's worth sort of understanding? Or like you know, can you give us a little bit more of a picture of like its early usage? and how that might yeah. sort of contravene what we, what we would think this early usage was. Mm-hmm. One interesting thing that I found, and it's in, it's in that, the piece that you mentioned, um, the ARC Digital piece, mm-hmm. um, 
and some of the earliest uses of the word I found are actually by people um, who use the word in a positive way about their own views, which is like, it's sort of quite, it's quite funny when you read them uh, like with 21st century ears to have uh, right. someone, you know, happily calling themselves a racist. I mean, uh, anyway, like, so in the piece, like I mentioned a couple of examples, like in, in the, in, uh, in France, in the late 19th century, um, I think 1892 is when this book comes out by a French author mm-hmm. who, whose name is Gaston Marie. And he, um, he's writing a book, like a novel about this, uh, this guy who is protesting against the influence of Southerner, like French Southerners in, in French politics. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, he, he kind of coins the term racism to, to, dis, to sort of define like his own kind of political views. Like he said, you know, patriotism doesn't quite capture it. It's got it like it's racism because there's this there's this angle that French Southerners are like of a different race than the the Northerners. Um, That's so, I mean, which I mean, it's another sort of interesting point that maybe people in the 21st century might not realize that um, debates sort of within the so-called like white ra- white race, like how to divide up the white race, sure. is itself like quite a contentious issue in the uh, in the 19th century and the 20th century. Um, so and that that was like the the critical or one of the critical issues um mm-hmm. in late 19th century france um yeah and other other examples i uh, use in the article is uh, in the 1930s the italian fascists um put out a program or put out like a, a manifesto saying that um yeah like that it's time for Italians to just pr- proudly declare themselves racists, and like the goal of the fascist regime has been racism, and so, so um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, I think that's one of the surprising things because obviously now the term is is very much a negative thing. Like even even sort of you know legitimate white supremacists don't want to be called racist. They'll try and come up with alternative mm-hmm. terms because it is it, it does have such or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Do you? How much do you imagine that that change is just the result of like the revealing of the Holocaust and the like, yeah. the, the amount of negative publicity that like eugenics and racism gets all at once in that particular period yeah. of time? Yeah, I think that's definitely a huge part of the story because, um, yeah, in the 1930s, the term begins to become more widespread in English and particularly around. Um, talking about the Nazi ideology, it's almost like mm-hmm. seen as like one in the same um, mm-hmm. or, or more broadly, I guess, like fascist ideology, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I think like the fact that, yeah, like the U S and Britain were, were fighting a war against the Nazis and the Nazis were like the worst um, uh, led there to be such a, a, a stigma around the term. I mean, obviously a justified stigma. Um, mm-hmm. So I think like, it's it's interesting, like you start to see around around the, the 1940s, like people talking about racism and in regard to like the Nazis, but they never say like an American or British author, but they weren't necessarily like applying it to their own societies. Um, they, were, yeah. they weren't like, you know, an American author wasn't saying like, you know, segregation and slavery, like that wasn't really... That, oh, that's like racism for us. Like they were really focused on Nazi ideology. 
Um, and I think like that, that, that legacy um, definitely has an impact still today. I think that um, mm-hmm. when people think about racism, they definitely, maybe that one of the first things that pops into their head is, is, is about the Nazis and the Holocaust. And that may be uh, colors their, their understanding of like, or how they, how they right. kind of think about racism today. Yeah. Right. Well, because you certainly, you know, you could find people in like civil rights era, post-World War II, sort of proudly proclaiming themselves, you know, defenders of the white race in this kind Mm -hmm, of way mm -hmm, in America. mm -hmm. So there is still, you know, at least a good another 10 years or so where like racism is still like an overt position before the Southern strategy kind of drives Mm -hmm. it into this kind of covert position. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. But I I wonder... um, in in sort of in what other ways do you feel like you see the defining of racism being sort of driven by people trying to do kind of political posturing around this so for example there's a an argument that i think folks will raise on the left these days that the individual the individual definition or the personal racism definition is overemphasized by the right because mm-hmm. they want, they can basically say, well, that doesn't really exist much anymore. And so we've solved yeah, racism. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like there are like active attempts to define race narrowly so as to claim that we've solved it or achieved progress over the course of the stuff that you looked at? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely, that's definitely true that, yeah, I mean that, yeah, people on the right would would want to have a very narrow narrow definition, and people on the left probably would want to expand it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any like feeling about so so? Where do you come down in terms of like should we be sort of descriptive or prescriptive about these kinds of questions? Like, should we yeah. adopt the more expansive version because it allows us to talk about more kinds of racism, or like is it just up to us to decide which thing we want to use? Yeah, I mean, I sort of feel like, and I wonder what what do you think about this? Like, because the the term has such a negative connotation around it that, mm-hmm. I mean talking about issues of systemic or institutional racism they might they might fall on deaf ears like if if because that term is so um is there's such negative connotations that to talk about this issue and use the word racism like it um people Mm -hmm. might kind of tune out where it might be better to to kind of explain um specific cases where um yeah say the legal system or something um mm-hmm. works to uh disproportionately uh criminalize black people versus white people for example um yeah i mean that's something i i wonder i mean i don't know like w- what do you think like uh it's yeah, i guess it's I... more it's it's more of a rhetorical or like political strategy versus like Mm-hmm. a substantial question about like what the definition should be i suppose yeah. right right i mean i think the easiest thing to do is to disambiguate racism into personal versus mm-hmm. institutional mm-hmm. and that, that like those are just two interconnected yeah. but separate kinds of phenomenon and then i do agree that 
racism as a term is so heavily emotionally laden that we have Mm -hmm. to really think about its usage i'm not i don't think i lean towards getting rid of its usage though the same way i think like using terms like moral panic can be valuable um but i do think um when we talk about institutional or systemic kinds of racism um we should be doing better at pre-budding concerns that this is a covert Mm. way to talk about personal racism and not that it's going to slide back into that kind of psychoanalysis stuff Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm, and i think if mm -hmm. you can get out in front of that and and also maybe talking more about like systemic racism is one version of the kind of systemic injustice that everyone experiences on some level yeah, that's a good point right yeah. maybe mm-hmm. those are ways that you can you can broaden out the appeal a little bit there um, mm-hmm. but i do agree that it like is a very thick concept and so mm-hmm. needs to be sort of treated carefully that way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so what would you say then in applying these kinds of concerns to the current like dust up around critical race theory in education, do you Mm -hmm. feel like um, it's important to be sort of out here debating these kinds of definitions and the history of these terms, or Mm -hmm. do you feel like that's a bit more of like a potential distraction and we should be focused in on, like you were saying, looking at specific cases or something? Um, Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, well, I mean, I guess, I guess one thing, obviously, to say about the the sort of critical race theory thing, I mean, is that it's it's like somewhat manufactured um, or or largely manufactured, I suppose, by by people for political ends. Um, I mean, I guess I think that there's maybe people could do a a clearer job, like you say, of like disambiguating the the, the race, the term racism, and like trying to explain mm-hmm. more clearly. Um, yeah, like when we're talking about systemic level issues versus, uh, individual ones, and even to say that like systemic issues or institutional ones, they don't depend on, or they don't necessarily depend on individuals having, uh, prejudiced views or whatever, or, or racist views. I mean, and, and, and then, and then to say that one need not like feel guilty or or something like that. Like if, if uh, mm-hmm. you know, to uh, one, not like that, you're not uh, personally responsible for this, but um, it's, it's, it is like a system thing that, like you say, like it affects, affects everyone in, in some ways. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so I think, I mean, another thing I guess, I guess to say is, is that, well, at least from my perspective, um, insofar as as you know, you do hear these these stories from the uh, critical race theory critics who mm-hmm. uh, talk about you know like there's always these these you know crazy stories you hear about kids being taught like punctuality is whiteness or or like um, mm-hmm. hard work is whiteness and uh, or, or stuff like this. And I mean, like, insofar as th- that's true, I mean, I think I don't really support that. And um, I think that should be mm, uh, opposed, I, I suppose. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I don't know. So, like, yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you separate out sort of analysis of concepts like race and racism from like 
analysis of concepts like whiteness? Do you feel like um, those those things can be combined together in useful ways, but like depends on the age range? Or I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, I sort of feel like all these terms. I mean, in, in one way, there's sort of this like analytical. Um, nature of the terms and then there's like also like a political and rhetorical nature mm. and i guess the, the the thing is that there's sort of a slipperiness between the two that sometimes it's not clear whether a term is being used like for political reasons versus analytical i mean like like white supremacy mm. for example is kind of a, a good example i mean like i realize that there's this analytical kind of definition i suppose of white supremacy mm-hmm. um which, which is somewhat, I suppose, similar to like systemic racism or, or overlaps in some way. Um, but at the same time, and that's like the sort of more neutral analytical way of, way of approaching it. Mm -hmm. But there's also, I mean, a more political way, I guess, like a rhetorical way, because the term conjures up, at least to me, uh, like, you know, images of the KKK and, and and Nazis and so on, that when you're using it, like, it's 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 hard to just to just say that um you know we're we're using it purely in an analytical way and to just set aside those connotations like i don't think maybe our brains really don't work that way i mean hmm. um so yeah so I, I i do wonder like um because the terms are very much tied up with um with kind of this evaluative uh property of like saying racists and racism is as bad um and white supremacy is, is bad and i mean I th- obviously i think those are those are good things but then like mm-hmm. i mean it's, it's good it's good to think those things i i mean um because mm-hmm. it's good to think that racism is bad but in, but like when you're sort of a then saying like we're going to apply it as a neutral analytical concept to understand society um yeah i guess that's it's it's more complicated i suppose or or just difficult to do perhaps i don't know yeah it's tricky i would be curious to see sort of any i don't even know how you'd go about like getting data on whether it's possible to shift people's sort of approaches to understanding a concept in this kind of way that like Mm. maybe it's true for example that we do intuitively personalize claims about stuff like race Mm. right and Mm -hmm. so we do have that but that it may might also be true that you know through education and habituation you can replace that conceptual framework with the one that you know recognizes that systemic level racism may always have been more prevalent than the kind of kkk you know radical personal Mm. racism right or if even Mm. if it wasn't more prevalent we could argue that it has done more damage and so in many ways should be centered more than the other kind or something Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. um and yeah but like i I do think it is tricky to in the process of making that cultural shift right there is going to be a lot of confusion and conflict and accusations Mm -hmm. of mott and bailey and misrepresentation and and such like that Mm -hmm. um but it's like an interesting question of can you get to the other end, you know, functionally? And, and mm-hmm. would that be worth doing? Would it bring about, you know, a change in our behavior with regard to yeah. these activities, these issues? Yeah. And I also sort of feel like retaining that negative connotations, like is, is really valuable mm-hmm. too. I mean, sure. Uh, that 
um, it's it's sort of a good a good weapon, I suppose, to wield against someone like, um, yeah, I mean, who's perceived to be, um, you know, acting in a way that is going to disproportionately harm racial minorities or something like that. Like, I think it's good to to mm-hmm. keep those negative connotations. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. So okay, so I'm curious, um, you know, what your impression is. You know, this is an issue I often ponder about progress, and I wonder, you know, I, I get stuck in this kind of paradoxical loop where I feel like it's both the case that we've made progress and not the case that we've made progress. And mm-hmm. I'm curious if you feel like, on the issues around discussions around the concept of racism in particular. Like, mm. are we making progress in our conceptual understanding? Are we regressing? Is the backlash against, you know, discussions over this causing it to just, like, wipe out any progress that we might have made? What is your sense on that? Yeah, yeah like, it's 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 hard to say. I mean, I do feel like, I think, like, the, the whole critical theory um, controversy, I guess, is definitely it's definitely not in in good faith or at least from from my perspective like from the, coming from the right like this isn't kind of a discussion about ways to conceptualize issues and so on like it's definitely kind of a purely political issue um and definitely and, and also like uh many people on the right are specifically sort of saying you know like just trying to muddy the waters uh mm-hmm. and, and like and trying to just um yeah yeah just muddy the waters and make these concepts more confusing not not less so i mean um Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think definitely i think there has been sort of conceptual progress i suppose like in 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 that people now are beginning or you know i think are have have started to understand that it's more complicated than then just uh, racism is just a matter of a bunch of people having prejudiced views or like hate, hateful views that um, mm-hmm. correcting like individuals' minds and providing them education like isn't enough to solve racism. Like you, uh, I think that's that's been a pretty important insight that um, there can still be racial disparities even even if. Um, sort of racial prejudice and so on have declined mm-hmm. um and i think many people are are getting on board with that idea so i think in that sense there is um there is uh i don't know i'm always like hesitant to say progress but uh yeah uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah do you have thoughts or advice in particular as an atheist um how members of the atheist community who want to try to communicate with other members of the community who maybe are are you know edging towards red pilled or are like right. concerned about wokeness or that sort of thing about how you find it helpful to talk about these kind of issues around racism without alienating and and while also still sort of encouraging people to take these issues seriously. Yeah, I mean I don't know if it's, it's if I've got like advice or or whatever, but I mean, I I feel like maybe in general discussions, I suppose, like assuming the other person is is acting in good faith, like one can do things like acknowledge um, maybe they've got some legitimate points or something like that. Like, 
Um, like, I, I don't think, you know, like concerns about wokeness or whatever, like it's not just like a figment of their imagination. Like I do think there is like kind of uh, in cases of um, sort of overreach and, and, and things like that. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I do think like, uh, yeah, maybe like acknowledging when, when the other person like, yeah, the, there's certain, you know, um, certain things we might find agreement on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, yeah, I mean, I think, um, I do feel like explaining racial disparities or so on, uh, in kind of a more neutral way, I suppose, is mm-hmm. one tactic. I mean, I watched uh, your um, the debate you 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 did with uh, in that that critical the- uh, critical race theory sure. debate a couple of weeks ago, uh-huh. and you mentioned uh-huh. I think it was you who mentioned the um, the uh, the issue about like um, powder cocaine versus um, oh I think crack I think cocaine. Sam may have brought uh, that okay. one up originally, but uh, okay. yeah. But yeah. I mean, like that's a pretty good example because in that um, you know it's it's a it's a case of um, well, I, I guess the example is that um, there was a less uh, legal penalty for possessing powder cocaine versus crack cocaine, and that um, there was, and then like mm-hmm. there were more black people using crack cocaine versus powder cocaine, and so even if it's on its face the law was racially neutral, nonetheless, like it had a kind of um, mm-hmm. disparate impact, I suppose. So, I mean, I feel like, I mean, explaining it in like a, a sort of concrete example of, of this working, I mean, I feel like might be a good way to approach yeah. someone on, on the other side. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting example to bring up, right? Mm. So for, first of all, from what I gather, the new information, the, the most up-to-date oh. theory may be actually that um, powder, like, like that um, white people and, and people of color were using crack cocaine at roughly the same amounts, like it with oh. every other drug, but like uh, there was okay. just more policing of those. Uh, right. That okay. Could, yes. Could be a minor difference. It still results yeah. in, like you were saying, disparate mm-hmm. outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. like the larger point I want to make about this is, you know, when you when we brought that up in the debate, mm-hmm. right? The response was, well, there are members of the black community. Yeah who were in mm. favor of this and who supported mm. it because they wanted to clean up their communities. Are mm. you calling them racist? Right. Mm. And there, I think you get a really good example of why, you know, whether we adopt the personal versus the systemic yeah. definition matters a lot. Cause like, first of all, you could just argue, well, yes, that maybe they were just being personally racist, but like most people are not going to believe that the members of the, like the leadership of the black mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. doing this because they secretly personally hated black mm-hmm. people. Right. Mm-hmm. They're going you would argue that the reason that they are, you know, in favor of this beyond just like genuinely trying to get drugs out of their communities is that they are mm-hmm. part of this larger systemic kind of war on drugs that is mm-hmm. causing a bunch of harm to these mm-hmm. communities. Um, and, and that like was based in some amount of personal racism, right. But was also just based in the reproducing of um, wealth inequality for various yeah. mm-hmm. groups. Right. So, mm-hmm you know, how do we, how do we avoid falling into a trap where you say, well, look at this example. And the other person says, but look at these people who were in favor of it, who were of this marginalized group, you know, Mm -hmm. how do you push back on that line of attack? Do you feel like? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a very good question. I mean, I think it is, like you said, like, 
I mean, I guess that's one of the advantages of, of the idea of the concept of like systemic racism in that mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily matter who's like the, the identity of the person or people like kind of who are behind these policies mm-hmm. um, that even and even someone with with good intentions or so on, like, you know, could could, um, you know, inadvertently do something that would create a racial disparity. So I think that's mm-hmm. that's one of the um, yeah one of one of the good things about the concept I guess yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there any sort of other things where are, are you curious? Are you still doing sort of research in this area? And like, what are you? Are there any things that you're hopeful about in terms of discussions around the language, around racism, or things that you're interested in seeing? you know, whether they will change or how they are shifting mm. in the near future. Yeah, that's, that's, another <laughs> hmm. I guess, I mean, the one thing I, I wonder about, like, like we have sort of talked about the definition kind of expanding. I mean, the one thing I'm somewhat concerned about, and I wonder what you think about this, like that, um, if the if the the term be, does become sort of too expanded mm-hmm. whether whether it will lose this sort of stigmatizing power like right now obviously even mm-hmm. even racists don't want to be called racist but i wonder if the term will become kind of watered down and that people will th- it will lose this this power of um you know stigmatizing views and then people will they won't feel a need to, uh, you know, hide their or 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 sort of cloud their views with, um, you know, other language yeah. or or whatever. Or will right. they just say like, "I'm racist," like you know, like this is what I believe now, and like it doesn't matter. I mean, I I don't know. I'm 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 sort of wondering like if if that will happen. I I don't know. Yeah, I guess I feel like I think it's less likely that you'll get that full, you know, mm-hmm. Boar style cartoon where you like, I guess yeah. I'm just a full on white supremacist now or something. But what mm-hmm. you will see is people who are engaged in the kinds of passive systemic racism feeling frustrated that they're being accused of what they think of as like active racism and that yeah. sort of mm-hmm. disabusing them of taking these kinds of accusations or concerns seriously it's also i think it's very hard to tell because you know i think there's a lot of evidence that any useful term if it gets taken up as part of a social justice movement there will be an active effort to discredit that terminology just like on the flip side you know if there's terminology that's effective against social justice you will see members of the social justice communities trying to discredit terms like you know, wokeness once it becomes yes. weaponized against yeah, them or, or things mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. cancel culture. Mm-hmm. No, and, and they may have good reasons for pushing back on those terms, but I do think it is also a bit of a like prevent defense kind of approach to yeah. political language. So I mm-hmm. do think there's a reality where, you know, the GOP is so deeply invested in racial politics that it's it's going to try to defang this term no matter how how rarely you choose to use it or not um Mm -hmm. so yeah i don't i don't feel as as concerned about that i do think there is just you know some some cost to um 
continuing to talk about it without effectively addressing it very well. You do get kind mm. of the an inertia effect or something like that. Mm. Um, but you know, I think it's very tricky. Um, I think you, you, especially in the rapidly changing modern media environment, it's very yeah. hard to tell. You know, the difference between saturation point and burnout is it seems like almost instantaneous for a lot of these concepts. Right. Yeah, you know? that's true. Yeah. I mean, I guess the the only reason that I've sort of sort of feel like this is, I mean, obviously there have been a number of sort of terms that are purely negative and eventually get, um, you know, get taken on like in a positive mm -hmm. way by by a group, you know, like that's sort of reclaiming a term. I mean, I think like like about my own sort of research about like atheism and and so on. Like there was a mm -hmm. term free thinker, uh, which I think was maybe maybe in the like 17th century or something, which was purely like um, a negative thing that Christians applied on, on other people who were seen to like, you know, be too mm -hmm. uh, skeptical or whatever. And then obviously it would later on become a term of self-description. So, I mean, I, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I don't know, like, you know, it's not a prediction or anything, but uh, something that right. could, could, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There, there, yeah, there are certainly always these kind of like reclaiming, you know, wear it proudly kinds yes, of yeah. movements, right? Mm -hmm. If this is racism, then fine, I'm a racist kind of stuff. Mm -hmm, or, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I personally choose to self-identify as woke because I think okay. <laughs> there's there's something to kind of pushing back on the way that that kind of concept has been weaponized as an attack word mm -hmm. against people. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, it's very hard to know how, what, what effect any of this kind of cultural stuff is necessarily having how much it manages to you know even if there is an overton window and how much it manages to actually shift it i think are all tricky questions and how much are we just like fiddling around with this language stuff because we don't have access to a better mechanism for addressing these problems that's yeah that's a good point too that um yeah we might wind up just debating <laughs> debating definitions and so on whereas and then just reality just kind of chugs along uh <laughs> like mm -hmm. without without us having any any impact um mm -hmm. but but i do think i mean just just one other one other point to make like about kind of the relationship i guess between words and um reality i suppose for lack of a better term i mean it does seem like um the term racism itself like um as as the usage increases like it, it there's a, there's a good tool called um google books engrams i'm not sure if, if you're mm -hmm. familiar with this like it's you can search millions of books in the google books uh uh corpus and like you can search for particular words and then it'll give you a graph for um you know how the usage of the, the term over time so it's interesting mm -hmm. because like for the word racism, you see a big, um, a big jump, like in the 1960s and 70s, as a, at the time of, you know, the civil rights movement and things like this. So it's sort of, um, it does seem that uh, language has, has some impact, I suppose, on, on, um, on, again, reality, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's hard to say, you know, which way the cause and effect runs, like, is it, uh, more people are using the term because because there has been a, a change in racial attitudes or it's or is the the term itself you know helping to cause these changes mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. interesting so we've you know this show tends to be a little america 
centric um because that's just where i where i live unfortunately but um you know you come you said you come from a canadian background i don't know how keyed in you are to canadian politics right now do you have a sense of like relatively speaking how these kinds of discussions are going in canadian politics like versus american politics i know there was the recent story of the um unearthing of mass graves in, right. from um residential um schools for yeah. indigenous individuals mm-hmm. yeah that was definitely a big a big issue and um i think i suppose like there are similar kind of currents going on in canada with regard to um i'm not sure if i've seen like if people are if like conservative politicians are talking about uh critical race theory yet but i imagine that some probably will i believe um, there's a little bit of divan- ban the divisive ideas bills just trickling uh, in i think uh, okay yeah i mean it, there could be i mean the interesting thing though is like in the in the previous election which was in 2019 um the previous federal election like there was a mm-hmm. conservative party and then there was a party called the people's party which was which was sort of uh meant to kind of be like a next more explicitly anti-woke party and you know mm-hmm. and to, to talk about these uh more culture war issues which is the conservatives like the conservative party didn't really get into quite as much and then, like for example mm-hmm. the leader went on uh, dave rubin's show for example uh sure. <laughs> um, always a good sign yeah right um and like uh but anyway i mean sort of the encouraging thing is like they didn't win a single seat in the election and like the um Mm, even the leader of the party didn't uh didn't win his seat so i think um i think that there might still be like a similar kinds of things going on in canada but perhaps they don't they don't find quite as much traction here maybe yeah yeah it's very weird the question of like how effective because i mean there's clearly like a, a very effective shift in American historical politics when the parties switch based on race during mm-hmm. the civil rights era. And like the Southern strategy works in that mm-hmm. kind of sense. So the yeah. question then becomes like, how much is this stuff still actively influencing people or how much is it just that like these families of white people got hooked into Republican culture and now mm. see themselves in this kind of way and are sort of going to perpetuate yeah. that that perspective, even mm. if in their minds it's completely devoid of all of that kind of um, racial underpinning. And yeah. Like, you know, maybe yeah. it's similar kinds of questions over there as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I sort of feel like like, like that, that sort of Republican and Democrat are such like, or maybe even Republican more so than, than Democrat. Like it's such an, like an important part of people's identity that um you know to mm-hmm. if the democrats are in power or something like that's an affront to one's identity you know whereas i feel like in canada because we've got a parliamentary system like where there's more political parties that um mm-hmm. are around and and maybe people don't maybe people's identities aren't quite as tied up to their to the political party that they support mm-hmm. not sure i mean yeah not sure yeah, no, it is heartening to hear they didn't get good results. I have a, mm. I, my sense is that this stuff is not super effective. Like, I think mm. it didn't, like, I think Trump is personally quite good at inspiring personal anxiety and anger and animus mm. or something like that. But that the use of critical race theory and the discussion around that stuff didn't 
like it doesn't it doesn't provide a bunch of extra boost or something like that mm-hmm. and i think with him out of the picture a little bit like i think it's going to be hard to reproduce that model like as a sustaining political uh motivating force so i mean, yeah mm-hmm. i guess i'm curious to see how those things will play out um mm-hmm. over the next couple of elections yeah yeah definitely so, yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we're just about out of time here. Before I torture you, is there any sort of final thoughts you want to leave folks with on the history of the definition of uh, racism or definitions more broadly, and how they should be dealing with this in the current um, culture wars? Yeah, I think I would say maybe the one one takeaway might be just that um, yeah, like words can <laughs> words can change their meaning from the original or earlier definitions. Like it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, uh, yeah, people say like, you know, such and such people are redefining the the word, but I mean, and then that's a wrong, that's a bad thing to do, but like words are always mm-hmm. being redefined and the meaning is always changing. So, and there's no kind of like correct quote unquote, like definition of racism. And I think it's something we can kind of argue about and talk about and so on. And like, yeah, that's. I guess like when we hash hash out an issue is like that's how we kind of come up with with our definitions by talking about them and debating them and so on. Yeah. Okay. Great. I think it's a good final point. All right. So sadly now I have to torture you. Uh this mm-hmm. is the enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. So for folks who are not familiar, I'm going to ask you a series of things. I'm going to t- t- give you a list of things, and you're going to tell me, are these things real or not real? Those are your only options. You can't hedge. You can't explain what you mean. Just real or not real. Okay? okay. You yeah. ready? I'm ready. Okay. Yes. So first of all, is anything real or not real? <laughs> real. <laughs> okay, great. So let's find out what's real. So the external world, real or not Real. Real. Okay. Colors, real or not real? Real. Phenomenal consciousness. Real. Free will. Not real. Uh, Selves or persons. Real. Genders. Real. Races. Not not real. Species. uh real yeah real real okay morality real rights real knowledge (laughs) real god or gods not real society real uh, real money real numbers real fictional characters not real (laughs) holes like a hole in the ground real chairs real sandwiches real uh science real natural laws not real (laughs) (laughs) beauty Real. Love. Real. Causality. Real. Okay. And finally, time. Real. All right. You survived. How do you feel? 
Um, uh, confused. Completely <laughs> confused. I, I always yeah. find it funny when I've talked with somebody for an hour about a topic yeah. and then they say it's not real. It always entertains me. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, I mean, I feel like I said real for a lot of them. So I don't know mm. what, what that mm. means, but yeah. <laughs> Pro- probably means you have a very thin account of real or something like that. Uh, that's, yes. That, that could be, yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, Nathan, this has been a lot of fun. Do you want to let folks know where they can find you? Twitter handle, stuff like that? Yeah. Yes. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Nath G. Alexander. And um, I've got a podcast called the Beyond Atheism podcast that uh, people can check out. Yes. Great. All right. Thanks. Well, thanks very much. Thanks for yes. the time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks to our listeners and patrons who make this show possible. Thanks to our newest patron, Dexter King Williams. And thanks, as always, to our top tier patrons, our Archon level patrons, Lawrence Shielding, Dude, Fix the Vote, Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman, Cormato Orkman on Twitch. CampQuest.org, 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 and all of the thanks to our Archduke level sticking with us patrons, Big Easy Blasphemy, Creepy Weird Void Eye Thingy, and Dave Maslich. Thank you all so very much. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and leave us a five star rating and a review on your podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at ETVPod. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void just four bucks a month gets you early access to episodes and our bonus etv reading group content most of all every time you exhale you are the void and the void is you